Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa idea in the 21st century. That one year turned into the rest of my life. In this episode of the Iowa Idea podcast, I sit down with Ken Goodman. For the past 30 years, Ken has been an important part of Chicago's indie music scene. Known for his bands, The Service, and the New Duncan Imperials, he formed his independent label Pravda Records in 1984 and has played with everyone from Tiny Tim to Eddie Vedder. We discuss his journey into music and running an independent record label, including his first professional gig while in high school working for an Elvis impersonator. I was first exposed to Ken, also known as Skipper, in the early 90s, catching the New Duncan Imperials. Those were can't-miss shows where the band would rip the roof off the joint. I appreciated Ken talking about the depth of the New Duncan Imperials universe, especially the lengths they'd go to to get press in advance of shows and in a pre-World Wide Web era. I appreciated Ken's insights regarding the pros and cons of the recording industry over the past few decades. It was an honor having Ken on the show. I thank him for sharing his time and insights. I hope you enjoy the episode. Ken, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here on the Iowa Idea podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time. For our listeners, uh, if you don't mind, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, sure. Uh, my name's Ken Goodman. Uh, I'm a musician, and uh, I've always been a musician, and I also uh, run a uh, business. I founded Pravda Records in 1984 when I was... 22 years old from my apartment and it was a kind of a grassroots record label uh founded by default because i needed someone to put out my records and uh i started it and it kind of grew into a full-time full bore label where i put out i've put out hundreds of records and i have a music publishing company and i do music for tv and film and I still play music full time, except during pandemics. Right, Kent. Thanks. Uh, my introduction to you was as an undergrad. Uh, it was New Duncan Imperials, uh, and those were can't miss shows uh, for me and my friends. My actual inter- introduction was a, a friend of mine in the dorms uh, at the University of Iowa. Uh, they were New Duncan Imperial trading cards, and. Yeah. Uh, that was that was my first first introduction, and that I said that I, I have to go see a band if they're putting out trading cards. Uh, but backing up a little bit, can you tell me about your journey into music, uh, becoming a musician, and kind of your early inspirations? Yeah, it started very young for me. My my parents uh, uh, started me on piano lessons when I was five years old because. Uh, I grew up in, I'm I'm Jewish. My parents were like, you have to take piano lessons. Otherwise, you know, it's it's terrible if you don't know how to play music. So I I was like, I guess that was just the way it started. Uh, And then I just started liking it. It It's kind of weird. Like five years, my sisters took it. They they didn't like it. They dropped out. But I started like liking it. 
and I kept uh, going with it and uh, became, uh, I went to jazz school in, in, high, in high school. My dad signed me, my, my parents were very supportive. So my dad sent me to uh, jazz music school. I was mostly a piano player. And uh, I, I got into the high school jazz band, which our jazz band actually went on tour. So I was like on tour in high school with a jazz band. And it just kind of got into me. And I started some rock bands in, in, in high school called Starfire and all these stupid names of, of rock bands. But I was doing rock. I was doing jazz. And uh, I was playing with an Elvis impersonator. When I was 17, I answered an ad in the paper and uh, basically became a, a piano player in an Elvis impersonator show, um, which was like a full-time working band in, in the 80s because you know Elvis uh, had just died when I got this gig and it, we were in big demand and I was playing with all these older guys. I was like 17 and I was working three nights a week with these like 30 something year old you know guys. So <laughs> I was thrust into this. Yeah working musician world and uh but then you know i had offers to go to japan with a female you know i was in this elvis world and i was like well i i could go to college or i can go to japan with a female elvis impersonator but i opted for for college just because i you know i was just it was getting to be too much elvis for me in my life and uh i was also wanting to do other types of music uh, so I didn't go to there. I went to Northern Illinois university where I started, uh, I met my actually bandmates from the new Duncan Imperials, uh, were in my dorm. <laughs> so we started a band. Uh, we didn't first start new Duncan Imperials. We started a band called BB and the guns. We were a new wave band. And then that became the service. And then the service morphed into the new Duncan Imperials by mistake just because that's how many things evolve. And then uh, anyway, that, that's the short version of the path. But basically, I've just always played music since I was five years old. And I just loved it. And I just wanted to be in the music business. I couldn't think and I went to college to be an art major. And that was also something I like. But I mostly applied that to designing record albums for my music. You know, so right, right. Um, yeah, it was that's the, the kind of the path I took, and and, I, and it evolved into doing music business. And, you know, I, I kind of follow the Herb Alpert model, where you're a musician, but you're also, you know, doing the the record label business end of things. So I, I mean, it's 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 a great combination. Thank yeah. Uh, side note on the uh, the art and the album cover work. Uh, I didn't I didn't know that until you said that, but a couple other bands that I, I really enjoy. I I appreciate that uh at that there's creatives in the band that are also design like uh you know Husker Du that Grant Hart designed yeah. all the Husker Du uh album covers and uh Dave Hill from Painted Doll, he does all of the the artwork on on his albums. Did you did you end up graduating from NIU? Not yet. Okay. But, um <laughs> You know, I went for three years. I was, you know, I had one year to go and then uh, the band uh, decided to go on tour full, full time the service. We bought a van and we just basically took off and we all dropped out uh, junior year after junior year thinking, oh, we'll take a year off and, uh, you know, have some fun. 
travel around the country playing, and then we'll go back to school and make our parents happy. Yeah. But obviously, it, the, that one year off turned into the rest of my life. And I, it's, you know, I don't really feel this regret or, you know, like, oh my God, I screwed up my life. Yeah. I've had the time of my life. So I'm like, I don't, you know, uh, it's not like I have to go back to get my art degree. Yeah. My, uh, actually my parents met at, uh, NIU. Um, actually, Mm -hmm. uh, there were three, three marriages in my family that were all tied to one prank phone call. That was how a, a group of people ended up meeting each other. So I, I do have, have fond, uh, uh, fond associations with NIU. Uh, so you said that uh, New Duncan Imperials was a, a mistake. Was that? Yeah, it wasn't a mistake. It was just kind of a fluke. We, yeah. we were a four piece band as the service where I was a keyboard player. And, uh, you know, I had never played bass. I, I kind of play guitar, but all of a sudden, uh, the service on tour was just becoming stressful. We weren't really uh, getting that popular. And so yeah. um, we decided to uh, become a three piece. We were just on our way home from Athens, Georgia. We were like all burnt out. We're like, fuck this. We're going to be a three piece band and you're playing bass and your name is Skipper. Like we had, <laughs> you know, and, and, and we said, okay, we got home. We started rehearsing. Well, we started drinking a lot and rehearsing and it was like, Oh, we're just going to have some fun with this. And then we started to, you know, write these kind of cool, catchy songs and we started getting gigs and people were loving it. So it became this like thing where like we, we were working on this other band for so many years, crafting albums and, and, and you know, touring the, the country, playing to like 18 people in, you know, every club we were playing. And then all of a sudden the New Duncan Imperials emerged and we were packing the clubs in Chicago within like two months. I was like, how did this happen? But so we, we went with it and it's been like 30 years. Yeah. What was, what was the, uh, the inspiration for kind of the, the alter egos and, you know, the club, cause it, to me as a, as a fan and just tell me where I'm off too, but there was there was a certain depth to this. It felt like there was a whole story. You had the background, you had the names, you had the alter egos, you had the outfits, you had the stage presence. How did that come to be? Uh, well, when you take on like a character, it's kind of like you're in a Broadway play, and we, you know, we created this universe where we basically it was very detailed universe. Um, it was, and it was fun and it was, uh, you know, it was fun to create this universe that we were in. And some people didn't know if we were kidding or not. Sometimes after a while, we didn't know if we were kidding or not because we got so involved in this universe that we were in and we were doing it so often at that point, like we were on tour full time. We were going to Europe. We were going to Canada. We were traveling all over the United States in this universe un- as these characters and uh it just became you know kind of like you know grew on itself it became this whole like uh, concept and we had comic books and we had you know we became like uh this thing where we wanted to be these entertainers you know we wanted to like when we wanted to go in a club we wanted to really 
become bring our universe to the club and entertain people and that's just kind of how it worked and it, be, it became a little strange because um we had one life you know when we weren't to these characters but then we had this other life where we, we had different names and characters and personalities right that uh kind of blended to started to you know we weren't sure who we were after a while <laughs> am i you know am i skipper or am i you know ken goodman running this record label so we you had to kind of shift gears when even our you know pigtail dick was this our guitar player and he's a super you know great songwriter and smart guy and he you know, got a master's degree and, all that. and then we go out as these you know characters that you know it was like like i said it was like being in a play every night where you were just like you got into character and you went with a hundred percent and created a show i mean we wanted to do a show not just get on stage and jam you know we wanted to right we do the whole thing yeah and the um so this was early you know like from a technology standpoint like right before kind of world wide web websites right but so i you had you had uh, in addition to the comp- your you had a merchandise catalog. Uh, who, yeah. Out of curiosity, who put those together? Because uh, just I just remember those being a lot of fun to read, and uh, just some of the things that you had for sale, I thought were hilarious. Yeah, me and Rick, basically. <laughs> I mean, we we all did it. We put it together uh, in our offices. <laughs> so we, yeah. you know, we would take. Uh, peanut butter and put our own labels on it and sell the skipper peanut butter. Yep. <laughs> we had pigtails, uh, uh, pig parts. We would take a jar of pig parts and make our own labels. We had good times, trick nuts. We open a thing <laughs> and a thing pops out. Uh, and we, yeah, we were basically making, we were making underwear. We were making uh boxer, you know, we, we were big on boxer shorts. We had, we would play boxer shorts nights. And then we, you know, we also had music, <laughs> you know, we had, right, right. We had records, we had CDs, we had cassettes, we had uh, party kits. Oh yeah, you can order a whole NDI party kit, which included silly string, a straw hat, <laughs> a confetti, uh, whatever else we found lying around, and we would sell this stuff. Like we'd mail out catalogs, and we'd have a PO box. We'd come back, and we'd get a lot of orders. Uh, through our uh, PO box and we'd send out boxes and boxes of shit. And then we <laughs> send it to the press. We would send it out. If we were going to like uh, a town to play, we, we were, you know, we wanted to get press and an article. So we, we also would send out uh, old television sets to uh, the press because we had, we would put television sets on stage with us as part right. of our set. We had like about five broken television sets. Some of them worked a little bit. They had a little light shining out of it. So anyway, as part of our uh, band promotion, if we were going to like, you know, Des Moines or something, we would send the writer a, a basically a party kit with an old television set in it. Because you can pick up a lot of old television sets in, in alleys. Right. People were throwing them out. So we'd, we'd drive around and pick them up. Or we'd get them at Salvation Army for $2 and so Oh, we'll send this one to the writer of uh, you know the Oklahoma Oklahoma Gazette because we're going <laughs> we're going there, and uh, it worked. You know, 
Thanks. Uh, and so was uh, was Pravda doing fulfillment? Were you using Pravda to do all the fulfillment on those, the peanut butter kits? Yeah, party I kits? Mean, Pravda had an in- infrastructure for mail orders, and we had a, we were a mail order company, and yeah. we were a record label, and we you know we we had all shipping and receiving capabilities, and uh, yeah, we were doing fulfillment. We had a you know a warehouse keep everything and we had a lot of stuff so uh in addition to all that we had you know boxes and boxes of cds records cassettes uh straw hats uh cases of silly string right yeah so uh going through uh how pravda started my my understanding was and can you you needed a label you needed to get your music out there and now this is something that's been like 35 years in the making, if you don't mind, can you can you walk me through kind of the the process of starting the label and what you learned early on, on the the business side or entrepreneur side? Yeah, uh, basically, when you're running a label, I mean, it's a lot of learn as you go type of thing, especially in the early years. I had worked at a few distributors, independent distributors, uh, when I was in my twenties. So I kind of learned the distribution business, independent distribution. And I was also on the road all the time and meeting other bands that were, you know, more clueless than I was about doing it. So early on, you just kind of learn as you go. You have to learn how to manufacture uh, products. Like back then it was all vinyl. Then you had to switch over, learn how to manufacture and design cassettes and then CDs. Uh, it's a learning process. You have to align yourselves with the right manufacturers and artists and you know production people. And that, you know, I've had the same uh, art director from day one. This this uh, gal that's worked for Pravda, and she, you know, I started delegating uh, art and design to someone and experimenting with different manufacturers and uh, like i said you just kind of if you do it long enough you kind of figure stuff out a lot of people give up but i just kept doing it and uh trying to perfect it and you you know you're going to screw up you're going to use you know you're going to have bad pressings you're going to have bad art you're going to you know distributors are going to go bankrupt on you they're going to owe you money um everything you know format changes and the whole format changes to, you know, downloads and streaming, you, you got to adapt to that. So it's a never ending process of figuring stuff out and figuring out who you're going to partner with for different, you know, uh, aspects of the business. As you know, as you're going through the different, uh, the physical media itself, how much that has changed to digital and vinyl scene a resurgence, a lot of changes in the music industry, both as a, an artist and as a business owner. What are, what are some of the biggest positive changes you've, you've seen in music evolution over, over your 35 years? Uh, the positive changes are that nowadays you can put out music easier and less expensively and you can reach people everywhere in the world uh immediately in the early days you know 
we were dealing with physical mailing lists and you know the old old school way of promotion of sending out copies to people all around the world to uh, review your music and to just to get them to listen to it was like you know an expensive uh, process because right. you had to send out hundreds and hundreds of promotional records to radio press retail uh you know since for overseas distribution it was an enormous undertaking to launch a new band now it's still an enormous undertaking to launch a new artist but you can do it uh less expensively and less physical labor and less uh wasting of, of supplies of you know cardboard and less postage costs so i mean that's that's a, a simple way of saying that you know the internet has uh revolutionized how you can promote your your, your artists but that's a positive thing for small labels and also uh, i thought the downloading uh and streaming has its positives as well for us so it was a positive thing we because manufacturing is so expensive and if a percentage of your sales are downloads or streams you're not you're not involving manufacturing costs so that was an interesting transition when itunes uh came into play for smaller labels i think it was uh it was great and you're on an even like playing field as well you're not fighting for end cap space at, at best buy Right. Stuff like that was like very positive for us. What are what are some of the the negatives or the challenges in in uh, you know the move to digital over the the past few decades? Uh, what challenges are there's just way too much music. You're competing for you know digital space now because everybody, due to the fact that it is easier to just work on GarageBand and make a record and put it out there. I mean, there's million, there's millions too much music out there to compete with. And you have to figure out how to make yours stand out. So there's, there, there are negatives to it where like, like I said, every, everybody and their neighbor is making a, an album. Right. And then they're all, flooding Facebook and Instagram and everywhere with, with their, <laughs> depending on how much money they have to promote it, you know, you, you got to compete with that and you have to uh, stand out, figure out your own little marketing ploys. I mean, every, it's, you got to be creative. I mean, you got to like, how can I get people to listen to this? You know, people's attention spans are so much shorter now. If you release an album, no one's even going to get to the fourth song at this <laughs> at the time. It's like, oh, just do a single because uh, no one has the patience to listen to a whole album now. When you send it to a reviewer or the press, or when we see we see the analytics, we know that this is happening. This is not like a guess. This is like you have complete analytics when you put music out. If people are listening to the fourth and fifth song of the record, they're usually not. Yeah. Unless, you know, they're huge fans. But so you're like competing for that one song to be like uh, listened to as a single 
or as your kickoff song on an album. And you were doing this whole album as like kind of a work. Like you used to put out a whole album to get a whole vibe of like 40 minutes of just like immersing yourself into this band. And I, you know, I used to love record albums. You'd pick up an album and you look at it and you play it and you smoke pot to it and you drink to it. And you're like, I'm in this band's universe. I'm listening on headphones, whatever. Now you're like, Oh, this first song's okay. Well, I'm going to click on something else. Fuck this. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, uh, as an artist and as a business owner, uh, when you're, when you're making your own music, uh, is it, are you, are you able to separate what you're doing from a business perspective, from an art perspective, just thinking about your kind of unique role of running a record company and being an artist, or does that even factor into what you're doing? Oh, absolutely. I separate myself from day-to-day business stuff when I'm creating music or performing music. Uh, I don't think about, I don't think about business. First and foremost, I was a musician. Yeah. And I started out as, you know, that's my passion. That's my kind of my, my life. Uh, And if you're on stage, you know, if you're on stage playing a gig, you're not thinking about, you're not thinking about business stuff. And if I'm, if I'm in the recording studio, I'm immersing myself in the project and the sounds of the project and the, uh, the whole vibe of the project. I'm not thinking about cutting checks and stuff like that. Right. So, uh, yes, I can totally, you know, I, I, I play in a cover band right now also. And, uh, it's really fun. We have a horn section. It and you know we've been playing lately some outdoor stuff, and it's just a, such a a joy to play music again with other humans uh, after months and months of not doing that. That yeah, it's just you get immersed in that whole being a musician again. When you know sometimes if you don't play for a month, you forget you're a musician a little bit. You know. Yeah, the some of the projects that you're working on now, and uh, a lot. I was thinking about uh, Imperial Sound and some of the other projects that are going. How do how do those come about? Do you? I'm just kind of curious. Do, do friends of yours say, "Hey, we should work on this," or you get a you know uh, an itch of something you want to do, and then you reach out? But how do how do some of the new collaborations even take place from a creative act for you? Well, the Imperial Sound kind of uh, was a, is an offshoot of me and Rick from the new Duncan Imperials uh, deciding we wanted to do some t- different types of music, like take some soul based pop that has nothing to do with the new Duncan Imperials. Right. We decided, you know, we, we'd like, a, you know, we, we want to do different things. You know, you don't want to just do the same thing year after year. We have ideas for other songs and other concepts. So I'm a big fan of soul music and seventies pop. And so is Rick, my, you know, my partner in that band. So we assembled a band of, of really great musicians and we, we found uh, really great horn players. We use really great uh, female backup singers. Yeah. And we just create these uh, kind of seventies soul pop songs. And it was, it was, it was so much fun. And we collaborated with uh, different, uh, guest singers like Kelly Hogan, Peter Himmelman. We got Sally Timms on our latest single. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just call people and say, you want to <laughs> sing on this record? We got this song we think would be great for you. And they're like, 
kind of usually they say yes it's kind of great and then uh they come in the studio we work this stuff out and then we produce it add the horns i mean it's just it's so much fun to do that type of thing where you're just out of your other comfort zone and you're into a new zone of production and songwriting and uh you know it's just one of those things that it just comes up and you you talk about it and you say all right let's get together and do it right now where where did the uh the inspiration for the uh the 70s pop and soul come from well from my uh my past yeah i mean we were i was listening to those songs in the 70s i was buying 45s of you know brandy and you know uh, the stylistics just my first record player was this 45 player and i would go to you can buy 45s they were like 25 cents or 50 cents and i became sort of obsessed with ktel compilations and 70s pop and and i also play soul music i mean i was the music director uh for andre williams for a long time right a soul legend yeah and i got into all kind of soul music that that we kind of combined with kind of 70s pop a lot of that so it's just like stuff from my past stuff from rick's past and we just created our own version of it to put out there yeah uh i uh and i think you've worked with a a friend of mine uh on the uh kathy rusto Oh yeah, she's fantastic. She's in the yep. Diplomats of Solid Sound. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She uh, she she married a, a a friend of mine, and so uh, bef- before I knew her as a singer, I just I, I knew her as just somebody we'd hang out with, and then was kind of odd when when I got to hear her music, and so uh, then yeah, went down kind of the rabbit hole with Diplomats of Solid Sound, and for me, then it was getting more into kind of soul inspired music. So I was just just love love the the sounds that you're working on now as well and yeah it's just a whole different uh thing to work with kathy was a guest singer on one of our songs and she her voice is just it's kind of amazing like you you, you can't believe that comes out of her sometimes <laughs> and uh but both with the diplomats and and singing on our songs and uh it's just great to hear her do her thing So how are you handling production now in a time of COVID? Are, are you able, I mean, I know New, Dunk, New Duncan Imperials have put out a couple songs that kind of like, at least the videos are remote. I didn't know if those were recorded in advance. Are you all taking time on exchanging files and stems? What, what, is, what does production look like these days for you? 
Well, just like you said, we, uh, our drummer lives in Houston for that, for the new Duncan Imperials and me and Rick live here in Chicago, but we all have home studios and we, uh, are actually our drummer's son is a recording engineer and he kind of mixed stuff. Like he's really great. He's like 20 years old. And, uh, our guitar player son is a filmmaker and he like does the videos. Oh, right. So on. Our, our kids are producing <laughs> this right now. Uh, we do that. We, we, I work on garage band and, you know, we do files back and forth and then we give it to the kids and then they, or make a video. We don't know what we're doing. Uh, you know, as a video, I'm not a videographer, but uh, our kids are, <laughs> we, they mix it and they make videos and then, you know, put them up. So production wise, it's been, it's not the kind of thing uh, the Imperial sound really can do with, you know, a eight piece band and everyone's not, everyone knows exactly how to piece it together, but as a three piece band uh, it's, it's more manageable with guitar, bass and drums and vocals. We've been doing that and we we did this one thing with this company called least of all where we do custom recordings and then they press up seven inch records and send them to the fans it's a custom uh, record for each person that orders it which is you know for super fans of the band it was very exciting because they're getting this custom where we greet them we talk to them and then we half-ass play a song for them for, and only them and they get uh their own single. Can you uh, can you tell me the name of that again? That company. Or okay, the it's, it's Lista. L e e s t a. V is in Victor. A l l. It's called the uh, the uh, shut-in sessions is what they were calling it. A lot of bands are, you know, trying to uh, interact with their fans and engage people. <laughs> so. This is something we did. We didn't know what would happen, but we had like a lot of orders. So we, we did it. We, we were working at it a lot more hours than we thought because we put it out there and the people from everywhere were ordering these. We had, we gave them a list of 10 songs they can pick from. And then we would do them and greet people. And it was fun. Like it was, it was a, it was a good exercise, but it was, it was a lot of work. Yeah, that's some of the things I've been curious about too for musicians because I've seen some other services like um, Stage It is one that's coming to mind. But some yeah, concerts. Yeah, and how the the connection with with fans, but from from your side of things, right? When you're usually you know able to feed off of energy of a room, what what's it been like for pandemic for you right now? Uh, for me personally. I've been immersing myself in the label uh, projects and business and release and producing and putting out records by a lot of different bands and doing some reissues and doing projects and keeping the release schedule going because people are buying records. Our mail order business has tripled 
really last six months it's been insane uh a lot of it was because for a while retail stores closed and we had new records and the only way to get it was to get it online through our mail order uh so we were hugely busy uh sending out records for, for mail order of our new releases and our old releases so that was interesting um as far as being a musician it was, it was terrible it just lately uh like we had so many cancellations uh you know actually the whole summer and then mm-hmm. people started doing some outdoor things in golf courses and some patios some backyards i you know we've been doing some of those in uh it's better than nothing, but when you're on a golf course and everyone's 40 feet away, roped off, right. and in a section wearing a mask, and uh, it's not the it's not the vibe that you know you think of when you're you know used to playing crowded, sweaty bars with people all over you and dancing and drinking and talking, you know. To right, right. So. Right. Like I said, it's it's better than nothing, but it 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 just doesn't really, you know, make me that happy to be yeah. playing forty feet away on a golf course stage where you know you really don't even want to go out to talk to people after they've been drinking and they forget mm. that there's a pandemic and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. I think, and I think the last time I saw I saw you might've been like 10 years ago at the mill. Uh, New Duncan yeah. Imperials were playing a show at the mill. And I even think the the conversation we had was more about babysitting and, and what it's like getting older and, and, and working around kids schedules. But I, uh, I don't know if you heard the mill closed. Uh, I, I didn't know if it was going to be uh, saved or not. Um, I, I was kind of following a little. Yeah. Bill, Building wise, I, I I don't think we're going to see it back there. I mean, and that was such a great room. I don't know how it felt for you, but as a fan, uh, you know, that kind of intimate wraparound setting was fun. I don't well, that's know if what it I'm was talking about as far as the vibe of live music, right? That's the kind of thing we I love. And that's the kind of thing that would work where you're you're in a bar like that. Like, you know, there's, there's a bar like that everywhere where right. we play all over the world where you're, you're you know, if they had the right vibe, it's yep. dark. Uh, it was, you're surrounded by people. They're close. You're packing, packing them in and just, you know, there, there was, there was a vibe and mill had that vibe and it, it was always fun to play there. I played there many times and uh, that's the vibe that you want when you're a musician, especially when there's, you know, a full house, when there's a vibe like that, it's magic, you know? And, and and what what is the magic there? Like from your perspective, what makes that magical? Well, just the fact that people are close to you and they're they're like feeling it. Yeah. And they're, you know, part of the whole vibe of the room. Like there's the bar, there's the, the tables, there's a dance floor area, and then there's the stage, and then there's people all around you that hopefully are getting into it and creating this energy. Now, some clubs don't, they don't get it right. They don't have the vibe where the energy is created. 
maybe it's because of lighting. Maybe it's because of the size. Maybe it's because of a sterile, you know, vibe. But some clubs that get it right, like the mill, you know, where it's kind of dirty, kind of kind of dark. Uh, that that's magic, you know. That's, yeah, same with Gabe's and Iowa City. Right? There, there was too. nothing nothing sterile about Gabe's. Right, another dirty club, <laughs> yeah. horrible bathroom. Yeah. That was a classic. And right. only, only thing scary about that was loading out the stairs at, at the end of the night when, you know, you had 10 beers. But magically, we never managed to fall down the stairs. I was gonna, I was going to say, especially, especially those stairs in winter. Oh, my right. God. Yeah. Unbelievable that no one died on those stairs <laughs> that I know. So uh, over your career, can you can you kind of tell when you're walking, if you haven't been into a club before, like walking in at Soundcheck, can you tell if the... It, it's going to be an easier or harder room to work with just venue wise rather the crowd's not in, but like you said, the layout, does it feel too sterile? Does it feel intimate? Oh yeah. You'll know the second you walk in, there's no, there's no like thinking about it. Yeah. You'll know. And that's why certain bands like to play certain places and why certain clubs, some bands don't want to play. Like there's a place in Austin, Texas, the continental club. Every band in the world wants to play there. It's only a 200 seat club. Yeah. You'll get, you know, big names play there because they like the vibe and it's magical. It's, it's, uh, as soon as you walk in, you know it and they do it right. And, but there's a lot of clubs like that. There's a, there's some in Chicago and there's a lot to get it, they get it wrong. And it's like, yeah, I don't really want to play there. The vibe's not right. You know, I don't, but you know, maybe we'll play there. Or maybe, maybe it'll, we'll try it. And then you try it and you're like, Oh, the vibe's not right. I don't want to play there again. But other places, you just always want to play and everyone wants to play them because they, they know how to create the yeah. live music uh, vibe that is just like anything, unlike anything else. Thank you. On uh, switching gears a little bit on the creativity side for you. One of, one of the things I like to ask, ask artists is digging in a little bit and the creative process, do you ever feel stuck? And if you do, how do you get unstuck? What are some of your tips for, for getting unstuck? Sometimes you just need a little time, you know, just kind of take a break, go to the, go to, go to the woods. I mean, go, go, yeah. uh, interact with nature or listen to jazz. I don't know. You know, everyone's different for me. I'll start venturing into other styles of music to listen to. Sometimes I'll listen to some ethnic music uh, from India or yeah. uh, African beats. Or sometimes I'll listen to like classic new wave or something to just refresh. So, I, but sometimes I won't listen to anything. I mean, it'd be like, take, take a couple weeks off and, uh, watch some films so yeah there's no they're not really a one way to kind of uh refresh it's just everyone has their own way of doing it but just getting away from the work for a bit yeah i I just yeah stop playing the piano for a, a day or a week and then return with a kind of a a fresh kind of brain to start over or right. can you do something or maybe you'll have an idea that 
that just pop into your head that you didn't have before. Thanks. Mixing a little bit too with your, your, your roles kind of on the business side with Pravda, but also the creative side as an artist. You know, you've, you've been involved with music for commercials, for TV. How do those come about? Do, do uh, creatives like ad agencies come, come to you or do you have a service like here? We, we can write for your commercials. I'm just kind of curious on how that uh, process comes to be. Uh, that process started also accidentally back in the nineties the for the company. Uh, we started getting requests for indie music for certain television shows that didn't have a lot of money. Right. Like Party of five or Dawson's Creek. There were the, all these shows that were music heavy. Uh, they were like, had a lot of music cues in them and they, they, they couldn't afford like, Warner Brother releases or, you know, working with major labels. So the music supervisors of these shows started calling in indie labels and they called us and said, submit some music. We, you know, we're, we need, we need music for these TV shows. And uh, like, okay. So we started submitting a lot of bands like the slugs and new Duncan Imperials and the service. And they started using all of our, uh, indie indie stuff. We're like, oh my god, this is this is a great way to you know supplement the income for the label and the bands. You know, you know, you, you got to sell a lot of records to make the money that they're paying for just thirty seconds of a song. Right. So I, I became very interested in that aspect of it. I started going to L.A. about every two months to pitch more music for. I, I you know, I would go to MTV. I'd go to Paramount. I go to Warner Brothers, and back then. It wasn't a crowded field. They all took my meetings and let me in and pitched my music. And we were becoming very successful because I had a large catalog of yeah. great music that worked. And uh, I just built up my my connections in mostly California. And I started going there quite often to uh, pitch for films, for TV, for uh, cable. Um, and then as far as advertising, in Chicago, there's a huge advertising uh, community and we would get calls the new duncan imperials were, were, were quite busy for a long time doing uh beer commercials we did a 7-eleven commercial we did a uh discover card commercial we did uh kentucky fried chicken so <laughs> we knew the ad people and they you know we were able to create things kind of quickly and fast and effectively for advertising agencies and for a while we were doing a lot of that and then, you know, it led into other agencies calling us and licensing existing uh, catalog or just creating demos for, you know, hopefully uh, newer products. So it just kind of evolves that, evolved that way for us where we saw other ways to um, get the business uh, and, you know, other, ref other revenue streams for the business other than just relying on declining record sales right. to supplement the business. So I thankfully got into that end of it so we can uh, supplement the other end of it, which is making records. Inter yeah. I, uh, one, one of the things I do kind of with my day job is I, I teach a, an innovation class at the university of Iowa. So I, I really appreciate what you're saying too about uh, changing business models and being able to adapt 
and and roll with it. Uh, was was NDI? Uh, were you guys sponsored by Jägermeister? Yeah, <laughs> we were their first. We were their first band they ever sponsored. Um, Did the song come out before or after? Before they heard okay. it, they're like, yes. oh, "We want to sponsor you guys." We're like, "Okay, that sounds great." There are, there, are, there are like 20-year-old bar bets that I need to cash in on now. Now that I have <laughs> have you answering that, I need to check back with some of my friends on, on no, the, the song uh, came because we were drinking it, you know, back then it was our, our shot of choice. Yeah. And it's a deadly little shot if you have one too many. <laughs> uh it can it can cause blackouts and other strange behavior. Blow your head off, right? Yeah. I mean it's a very simple song. It gets right to the point. But anyway, the Jaeger rep, they heard it and they're like, oh, this is great. And uh, they started sending the Jaeger Meister girls to our shows for all kinds of promotions. And then they started sponsoring our tours and flying us around to do events. They flew us to the Virgin Islands to play their top selling Jaeger bar in the in the Virgin Islands. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was great. They were, yeah. they were they were very nice with us. Like they, they but then they started signing other bands like Slayer, you know, and yeah. uh, became, you know, like they, they, they became busy with a lot of metal bands. Right. So, uh, Ken, one of the kind of last topics I cover with guests is the notion of advice. Uh, and from this, one of the, I steal from Austin Cleon's book, Steal Like an Artist. He says, when we're given advice, uh, we're usually talking to our younger self. But was there either good advice you had early in your career or advice that you wish you would have had uh, that you might be able to give uh, creatives today? Well, I don't remember anybody giving me advice other than, you know, do you have something to fall back on? <laughs> My dad was at, would ask me. And I'm like, not really. Um, so my advice, I mean, is if you want to do something, be persistent, stick with it, experiment, um, keep learning about it. And, you know, don't worry when you screw up because I mean, this is all basic things I know, yeah. but for me, it was just like, I'm sticking with it and there's nothing else I really want to do besides play music and be in the music business. But the other thing I would say is learn the business. Uh, diversity is how you don't, you know, uh, screw up your, your, your business life because, uh, a lot of musicians don't know the, the business, business end of it. And then a lot of them get taken advantage of, especially in the old days. Like I worked with a lot of older soul artists who yeah. signed deals that were so horrible and so criminal, but they didn't know, you know, someone dangled $5,000 in front of Andre Williams so he can, so they can take 
his song Shake a Tail Feather. Um, I mean, stuff like that was happening. And he just took the money, signed off on it. And like all of a sudden, you know, he doesn't own his hit song. Right. right. So anyway, my advice, if, 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 as far as being in the music business, is learn a little bit about the business. Maybe you don't have to learn everything, but learn what publishing is. Learn what the, the term, you know, learn what these terms are. And, you know, look into it. There are books you can read. You can learn online. You can go to some, you know, I go to a lot of music conferences because I'm still learning. There's all kinds of things that you're going to con continually learn about whatever business you're in, especially the music business. There's, there's, there's a lot of things involving foreign uh, publishing and sub-publishing for your music. There's a lot of new technologies that can create income. There's a lot of new uh, royalty streams that you have to know about to collect. You have to sign up for them. So I'm saying overall, uh, don't just be a musician if you're going to be in the music business. Learn a little bit or a lot, depending on how you want to do it. If you're creative, a lot of creatives don't want to get involved in uh, the business end of things. And I think that's a bit of a mistake because they just become lost and at the mercy of someone else who could possibly, you know, screw them over. Right. If they don't know how it works. So I, I say that learn how it works a little bit. If you're going to be in the music business or any creative business, it's great to be just creative, but that doesn't always work because you you'll you'll get lost in the, the whole complexity of the music business or whatever you're doing and then then you get frustrated and then you get bitter and resentful or <laughs> hateful because yeah. you got you know you didn't do the right things initially to protect yourself so i'm i just i always you know i'm, I'm always advising people a lot of people call me for advice on things now and i try to educate them a little bit about how this works or how that works so they don't get screwed by a lot of different things that can that can happen and have happened to other musicians and a lot of them i know i'm like yeah you know so i anyway that's that's the only advice i can give Thanks. No, I appreciate that because I've noticed a pattern too with some of the artists that I like. So obviously you, you've had Pravda forever, right? And, with, and kind of that was along the lines of your whole music journey. But I've seen more artists kind of creating some of their independent labels. I think uh, one, one I know who is also a, a lawyer, right? Because it was like just some of the contracts and doing work for a bigger label just wasn't, wasn't making sense. And yeah. And is it, do you know if this is true? Like can, from music lore, I, my understanding was that uh, from a business perspective, things took off for the Rolling Stones when Mick Jagger kind of took over more ownership, right? It, his economics background from London School of Economics, one of the things I had heard was he was just getting frustrated with how the band was being managed from a percent and rights perspective. I don't know if you have any insight to that lore. Well, yeah, Mick, Mick was a businessman. Yeah. He's a businessman. Yeah. And he's, he's smart. Right. And he knows how things work in both music and film and uh, his music being used in advertising. And so he, yeah, he learned about it. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, 
he aligned himself with other people that he's been with for a long time as well. Um, so yeah, partnerships also are important who you partner with and who you trust and work with for, you know, with Pravda, we've been working with a lot of the same people for a long time. And we've also, as far as artists, a lot of artists have been with us for a long time, multiple records. Um, we don't just try, we don't just try to sign one-off deals. Every record we put out is kind of like becomes part of the family part. It's like one of my kids, yeah. you got to nurture it. You got to work with it. You got to, you know, have it grow. You don't just, you don't just put it out and then, you know, put, put it to the side. It becomes like a thing you nurture. And that's why we try to do multiple releases from the band. It becomes like, kind of like uh, part of, like I said, part of the family and, you know, we, we pay the bands, you know, we, we, <laughs> right. Oh, uh, you, you have to share the wealth with, yeah. with the bands as much as you can, because, you know, they're part of the family and you want them to make money. I, I want to pay the bands, right? I want the bands to be successful. I want them to get royalty checks and I want them to be happy as part of the family. Now, over the years, you're not going to make everybody happy. Yep. Some people are not going to be happy. Yeah. Just the way it goes. Most people, like families, right? right. You're going to have people that will be like, not happy. Right. I'm, you know, I don't like when they're not happy, but you can't please everybody. And you got to know what people's expectations are and what people's, uh, you know, needs are. And sometimes they're not realistic. Ken, thank you so much. Uh, this is, it's been an honor to, uh, to sit down and chat with you. I really, really appreciate it, both from being a fan of Pravda Records over the years and the, just the, the great diversity of sounds that Pravda's put out. And then also as a, you know, as a, as a fanboy, some of my early, like uh, both underage and of age shows were either sneaking into NDI shows or, uh, attending them legally but uh some some of the most uh fun live music i've ever seen in my life were ndi shows oh fantastic i'm glad you uh i'm glad you liked them i'm glad you were part of it yeah well i have a have a fantastic day and i i look forward to keeping up with you and uh hopefully uh, as as venues sooner than later get back to open uh we can see you back out on the road we'll be back all right take all right. care thanks for having me